if you have resilience as, as one of your traits, I think, you know, it's one of the best things you, you can ever have. Because if you have the openness and then the ability to be able to adapt to change, you will always be evolving, you will always be educating, you will always be moving with times and and growing and learning from what you already know, but then be able to embrace also what, what comes on board. Annabel Tully is a farmer, wife, mother, nurse, artist and fighter, and she is resilient. Annabel and Stephen Tully live on Bungandary, an 80,000 hectare sheep, cattle and goat property near Quilpie, 1,000 kilometres west of Brisbane. Stephen and Annabel are a team. Together they've been through drought and Annabel's two bouts of breast cancer. Annabel is an inspiration. I just love her story and hope you will too. Welcome to Postcards from the Bush with Robin McConkie. It's a podcast about the nuts and bolts of life in rural Australia. The good, the bad and the beautiful. I grew up in Brookfield on the outskirts of Brisbane. I had uh, two brothers. We had a couple of acres there, so we were on a dirt road. We rode our push bikes to work, you know, to school. If it rained, the creeks had cut us off and we had horses and BMX bikes and dams and, yeah, all the fun stuff that, that you can have to have a free childhood um, but while still living in Brisbane and accessing, you know, those education opportunities. So... What was your parents' attitude to discipline and and allowing you to explore your the freedom that you had as a child? Oh, look, as long as I didn't want to go to the pub, I was fine. They, that was a definite no. But um, <laughs> the freedom that we had is just we had to be home by dark for dinner. That We sort of had a posse of kids on the road and we'd go and swing from trees and pick mulberries and go go fishing for the day and yeah it was very very free and so what were your brothers your brothers names and what did your parents do so my older brother Paul he's three years older than me and my younger brother John he's only 18 months younger than me mum worked in fashion retail fashion and she was always and still is a very stylish woman and sort of uh, influenced us in that respect Um, she's very very determined and very independent so I guess uh, she encouraged us to be in that same way. Dad always ran his own business. He's an engineer by trade. Yeah, again, a very fiercely independent person, always wanting to work for himself. He owned the local produce agency for a while there. So we used to go and pack apples and cart um, bags of horse chuff out to the car for people. And yeah, it was fun. It was good. Yeah. And how did you meet Steve? At the Aramanga <laughs> pub. <laughs> what were you doing at the Aramanga pub? Aramanga B and S, <laughs> bachelors and spinsters, where all young people met there, you know, in the in the eighties. Yeah. Just tell me a little bit about your family now. You've got five kids, I gather, and Steve's your husband. Tell us a little bit about the family, who's there, and how old they are. So Stephen, um, with a PH. Currently, I've got a thirteen, a fourteen, a fifteen-year-old, a fifteen-year-old. So hang on, I'll start from the top. So Lockie Lachlan, he's uh, twenty. And then there's Sophia, who's 19, and then Harriet, who's 15, Hugo, 14, Eve, 13. Tell us a little bit about Bungandary. We think it's the centre of the universe. I mean, it's pretty special to us. Um, it's the home place for Stephen, where he grew up, and I was welcomed into that family as well with open arms, which is really lovely. Uh, and so we've continued to grow um, our own family there. It's 80,000 hectares mixed country 
sort of open rolling, boree, stony country that grows beautiful for herbage in winter. Um, and then we've got sort of all your classic channel country that floods out. And then going back into the great, you know, those beautiful jump ups and, and you know, ready, creamy colours of the of the grey range. So it's got a real, oh, and, and plenty of plenty of mulga too. So it's a really well-balanced block. Um, Stephen's mum and dad did a really good job of buying smaller blocks to to amalgamate it together to create a Bunganderry that we know now. And at Bunganderry, you run sheep and cattle? Sheep, cattle and goats now. The 2000s haven't been terribly kind to uh, producers in Western Queensland. I mean, I know cattle prices have been really good and sheep prices have been really good and for times wool prices have been very good, but it's been a difficult time over the, over the last few years. What's the situation there now? I think we've um, worked very hard in the last five years to make sure that Bunganderry was less impacted by the drought. As you know, a family that fences together stays together is my new <laughs> is my new catch cry, because um, we've put up um, three hundred thirty kilometres of exclusion fence around our property, and that's made a huge difference for us to be able to manage our feed, and to be able to balance where we put our stock, and where we put our water infrastructure to ensure that um, we can make the most of what little rain we do get. As you can imagine, you know, 80,000 square, uh, 80,000 hectares, it's approximately 80 kilometres from one corner to the other. So, you know, say Brisbane to the Gold Coast, you can have a storm in Brisbane, but nothing rains in, at the Gold Coast. So, yeah, we, we need that ability to be able to manage and move and make the most of what we've done. So for us, we certainly haven't had our average rainfall in the last five years. However, we have managed to hold because of that reason. We've had adjustment stock, we've helped out other people who've, who haven't had other options and now we're just breeding our way back out of it again. It's, um, yeah, it's not too bad at the moment. I won't say it's broken, but um, we've still got a long way to go, but we've certainly made some efforts to make sure it's not as devastating. What mm. does drought mean for you mentally when you, when you, it's day after day after day of dry conditions and reducing stock numbers? How does it make you feel? Um, you're very much on edge. Every single day there is a decision that has to be made and there's no, there's no procrastination. There's no, um, oh, okay, well, we'll have a think about that. You have to make, we are, we're constantly making decisions on a daily basis to ensure that our stock stay alive, basically. I always say, I liken it to the fact that you work twice as many hours for half the pay. We both take responsibility for the education of our children, but we've got, you know, three at boarding school and two doing tertiary study. And I, I certainly take on board that we made that decision to have five children, which is a large family, and knew that the cost of that, but the thought of actually having to pull those kids out of education was, was the only thing we couldn't stomach. You know, you just, you, you can, you know, eat skimpily you can you can cut corners you can do whatever but that was probably making sure our kids had a really smooth education was number one for us and then us just being really open and honest about how crappy the situation was too just talking about it and um yeah keeping it real I guess so we've never hit any of that from our kids but yeah it is it's that it's every day and it slowly builds I think that's the thing about the difference between a natural disaster 
of a drought as opposed to the fire or a flood. And and I'm not I'm not going to say it, it's less devastating or more devastating. It's just different. It just it just comes comes slowly like a slow creeping mist that just comes in and and before you know you've it, it's engulfed you. And and if you don't if you're not organised and you're not on top of it, then it just yeah it it can be extremely overwhelming. Annabelle, it sounds like. All the decisions are made, they're joint decisions that you and Steve and the kids talk about things. How hard is that to do and how important is it that you do do that? You've got to share the burden. You've got to, um, particularly when you're in that state of hypersensitivity, if you like, you, you need to bounce those, have someone to bounce those ideas off um, because sometimes you're not quite seeing things straight. You know, you just... Um, and it, we, we're just open to all ideas. We're, 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 um, we're talking to our neighbours. We're talking to our friends who's saying, oh, you know, how are you managing that? What are you doing? What ideas have you got? You, it's that constant um, problem solving that is so important. And, you know, and to keep the kids included in it makes us feel, you know, that it's still worth it, that you're still working for something. Sorry, I always get a bit funny when we talk about drought. But yeah. I'm sorry, mm. but it sounds yeah. like that the community... No, that's right. That's right. I, I always lose it. <laughs> I'm an emotional person. <laughs> Annabelle, it mm. sounds like the community's actually talking too because sometimes during mm. drought, people go into themselves. They become incredibly isolated. But in, in mm. this sense, you sound like in the Quilpie community in southwest Queensland, you're actually working together. Yeah, well, you've got you've got to look out for each other. We, there, there's very little social events, you know what I mean. Everyone buckles down and works really. Hard. There's not a lot of time at all, but we do try where we can to keep connected. You know, still staying stay in contact. And um, yeah, you need those support networks. It's um, as I said, it's it, it helps you have a reason. You know, our family and our friends are the reason why we get up in the morning and why we keep going and why we live where we live and why we do what we do. And if we don't have that, then it takes away, yeah, that true reason as to why you need to do those hard days and those long days. Steve's fifth generation on uh, Bungandere, mm -hmm. is there a sense that you have a responsibility to the past as well as the, to the future during drought to maintain and grow and survive through these things? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's so many countless stories because we've got that that history of, um, you know, on Christmas Day, Uncle, you know, went out and was was chopping mulga with a with an axe to to feed his stock. You know, it's just um, you know, it gives you faith that if they can do it through those years, then we can too. There's absolutely no reason why we can't. We've got those tried and true that tried and true history, if you like, um, that it's possible. So yeah, that that sense of yeah, connection and commitment to, to the past and the responsibility to be able to to um, to keep going gives you faith, I guess. It's, you know, it's like, oh, well, they've done it and much tougher, but they didn't come home to an air-conditioned house, <laughs> you know. How does the landscape change during drought? Put on your painter's hat uh, for me. When you're an artist, you always have your, you know, you always have your painter's hat on. If you like, you sort of have got your blinkers. I've got my blinkers on then because I don't see the devastation when I'm looking at it through my artist's eyes. I see the beautiful red, rich colours, the oranges, the creams, the beiges, and the browns. And they're they're um that's what I love to paint. That green new pick that comes through isn't isn't easy on the on the painter's palette, or it's not on mine anyway. I guess because that's where I live all the time. Maybe if I lived in the rainforest, it'd be a different story. But that's not my 
my palette it's all the lovely soft greys and blue you know pale blues and and pinks and reds so in drought it's actually spectacular from <laughs> from my point of view you know those red rocky outcrops will always be there the gibber plains will always be there when did you start painting annabelle always always I grew up at brookfield i said you know i used to put you know 150 entries into the brookfield show every year and um, <laughs> i've always been creative you're listening to Postcards from the Bush with Robin McConkie. Life on the land can be tough, but the people who live there choose to live where they live. And there is a sense of community you won't find in the city. Annabelle, I think painting helped you through a couple of bouts of breast cancer that you've experienced. Mm. I understand that you were 38 weeks pregnant when you, with your second child, Sophie, when you discovered you had breast cancer. Mm. What, tell me the story. Yeah, so Sophia, um, so we had, um, so Lachlan would have been about 18 months old and I had a bit of trouble feeding him, uh, breastfeeding him, so I decided to be proactive and go back and um, see a breast um, care nurse just to, or lactation specialist, I guess they could call them, um, to see whether I could, yeah, as I said, be a bit more proactive about it and, and get some help. So I went down a little bit earlier. Locke had been an emergency caesarean, so I did go to Brisbane to be with family a little bit earlier just to get those that medical support. So it was a Tuesday and I explained to the uh, lactation specialist that I had this small little lump in my right breast and I thought perhaps maybe it might be a little block milk duck and was that possible and she said yes it is possible but I'm going to make a doctor's appointment for you and I didn't know any doctors in Brisbane so so yes I went through the process I was there on my own at the time Stephen was still at home working anyway long story short Friday Sophia was born and the following next Tuesday I went into surgery and and uh, two days, I think I had a week to heal and then I was straight into chemo. So it was, um, yeah, it was quite an aggressive, it was small, but it was quite aggressive. So they moved quite quickly on it. So it was pretty, um, pretty whirlwind situation. Yeah, I always say Sophia and, and Stephen have a very close bond because um, he brought her up. I wasn't around for those first few months. So it was, um, yeah. Did you stay in Brisbane? Uh, no, I went home. We went home with our beautiful little family and I was going back every three months. So I used to fly, I used to leave my my two young children, so my newborn baby and Lachlan, who was 18 months old, and get on that plane. And it's a really weird feeling, um, anyone who's ever experienced that, those sort of early stages of cancer, you actually feel well. Like there's, you don't feel like anything's wrong with you. You just know that there's this insidious thing inside your body that you've got to get rid of, otherwise you'll die. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a really bizarre feeling. And as a, you know, 29-year-old um, who's never had anything wrong with it ever, um, it was really quite confronting. So you sort of get on the, I get on the plane, at, you know, in, in Quilpie surrounded by mulga and red dirt and, and feeling completely fine and leaving, having to leave my, my, you know, newborn baby and go down to Brisbane and do my, tra- do my treatment and then come home feeling, yeah, revolting so and then be thrown into bed for the next sort of couple of weeks so you know and then you started again so it's um yeah that's that's what it was like yeah basically I guess. Mm. How did you get out of bed Annabelle? 
What made you get out of bed? Oh, I had two kids to look after. I didn't have a choice. It was lovely. I'm forever grateful that I was in that situation where I did have two kids to make me get out of bed. There's a baby crying in the next room. I couldn't not. Yeah, so that was actually very good and very part of a very big part of coping through those times. Yes, I'm sure I sat on the floor and cried because the kids wouldn't stop crying and I couldn't either. But um, yeah, it helped. It helped me make a new normal, I guess. Mm. And Annabelle, you spoke about community supporting uh, in, in, in during drought. Is Coopy a good community? I mean, was there support yeah. for you in the community? Yeah, absolutely. I had yeah, a couple of ladies ring me at one stage and sort of said, you know, how how can we help? You know, would you want us to cook you dinner? Do you want? And I said, can you just can you just come, just come and have lunch with me, just make me feel normal for a little while. And that's what I always. Anyone that helped me feel normal, you know, just stop and have a yarn to me in the street. If I went in to do my grocery shopping or, you know, more often than not, the grocery shopping would come out on the mail and my mail lady would bring it right in and she'd help me unpack my groceries and, and there'd always be a packet of lolly snakes in there for the kids that had come from. Yeah, so they were, you know, pretty good, pretty good. So, um, but, and then at the other end, I had my, my family always scoop me up off the plane at the other end in Brisbane when I went down for my treatment. I was really lucky. Stephen's mum and dad were still at home at that stage too, so... Yeah, my community, I guess, spread a long way. So I was, yeah, very, very lucky in that sense. Annabelle, that was your first bout of breast cancer. It returned after your fifth child. Yeah, yeah, little Eve. Yeah, so after um, the first round, oh, yeah, anyway, through all that trip, you sort of get um, get the all clear. And then, yeah, we decided to have more children. We always wanted more children. I always said I wanted six. So anyway, we had... Um, we had Harriet and Hugo and thought that was enough. And at that stage, I'd sort of got all, got the all clear. I had my five, you know, the magic five years and you pop the champagne. And, yeah, so we had a really busy little family and life was fairly normal. But and So it was about the seven-year mark and Eve was two that I was diagnosed the second time round. I did have a lump in my breast that was benign in the same breast, interestingly enough. I don't have a, I don't have a history of breast cancer at all in my family not at all so it was all sort of new new for me I had a breast lump a lump in my breast that I'd had been monitoring for you know every 12 every six months for the last however many years and even though I was sort of past the five-year mark I was still having my my six monthly screens and um they were keeping an eye on this one but it just at one point it went from the size of a pea to the size of an orange in about two months yeah maybe not two months maybe over six months yeah, it was weird. It was so, anyway, in we went again. This time um, I actually did chemo first to reduce the size of the tumour so that they could contain it when they removed. Yeah, so we made the decision to have a bilateral mastectomy and any opportunity I could to make sure this didn't happen again, I certainly went for. So my ovaries were taken as well. That was part of that. So I shouldn't say they were taken, they were removed. Yeah, so that throws you into, um, yeah, menopause. And yeah, so, you know, at the age of 37, I would have been, I think. Yeah, so it changed. It certainly sculpted my life um, and changed it and it changed my husband's life and it changed what my kids, yeah, we are all fiercely independent as a result. It's, um, it's quite extraordinary. The kids, sometimes I think they don't know how to be otherwise because they've had to be. Yeah. What do you mean you're all fiercely independent? If there's a problem, you find a solution and you, and you do your very, very best to work that out on your own and then you start talking about it with someone else 
and you work on it together to solve a, solve a problem. You you don't often ask for help in the first instance. Yeah, we, we become very independent problem solvers, I guess. Um, Annabelle, one of the first paintings I ever saw of yours, it had inscripted on the bottom of it, resilience. Now, you loathe the word resilience, but <laughs> you are talking about resilience here. What does resilience mean to you and how did art help you and painting help you get through this period in your life? I hate the word resilience because I think it's used in the wrong context or is as flippant and can be quite flippant but it actually means being able to adapt to change. If you have resilience as, as one of your traits, I think, you know, it's one of the best things you, you can ever have because if you have the openness and then the ability to be able to adapt to change, you will always be evolving. You will always be educating. You will always be moving with times and, and growing and learning from what you already know, but then be able to embrace also what, what comes on board. So the, so that ability to be able to do that particularly in a drought and that painting is bare bones like it is yeah. red earth it is stark trees it is um it, it to if you can find resilience in that and the, to change to those situations you know it's you've got to dig deep so a lot of my paintings are quite bare and and are drought driven as you yeah. said I love that that cal that palette of the oranges and the and the browns finding beauty in that that yearning to be able to find something good out of out of a really horrible situation that's the hard bit you know we can all problem solve we can all find a reason to move forward and fix something but the actual want to do that is the tricky bit you know the the actual desire to actually find something beautiful in those situations or the 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 real guts or the real reason to want to keep working hard through a drought and um and I guess art and, you know, being able to create something beautiful despite the fact that I'm standing in, you know, surround quite often where, you know, if I was at a watering point or something, you know, I'd be surrounded by bags of bones and, you know, there'd be, you know, old cow poo or, you know, whatever where I am. And, and to be able to paint something um, that someone else enjoys is a real is a real joy. It gives me a lot of joy, and it's a real gift, I think, to be able to give to others. What do you feel like when you're painting? How does it help you? What does it? Wow. Okay, that's a really good question. It, it gives me freedom. I'm a very free kid at, at at heart. When you're in a situation where you have no control over what's happening, either to your health or to your environment that you love, it gives me some control in what I want to do and what I can do and to be able to be free and, and I work in a very fluid um, manner like it's very wet on wet so I've got lots of water that I'm you know moving around the, the canvas and I you know I'm dropping in in puddles of red earth and, and and I actually use what I've got at my feet that I throw on my canvas and yeah it's that freedom I guess to be able to to create whatever you want for me that's for me that's perfect. Is there a time of day when you prefer to paint? Yeah, you ask any artist. It'll always, El photographer, it'll be first morning or last light. It's just the contrasts and the shadows and the, the colours are just different. They're richer. And we, when you live where we live in, you know, Western Queensland, that sun is really harsh and it, and it bleaches the colour out of anything in the middle of the day. So, no, apart from the fact that it's stinking hot and you don't want to be there or blowing a gale um, in winter, certainly early morning or late afternoon. 
I love the way that you use natural um, materials for your painting, that you use ochres. Now, because it really reflects the colour. Tell us about the materials that you're using in your artworks. I guess it's it's a part of paintings that I want to create and the fact that are, are a, a true reflection of, I can't pull up on the side of the road and do a painting. Like It, it has to have a story. It has to have connection. It has to have meaning behind it. So for me... Um, I have to understand it and I have to live that landscape for me to be able to put that energy into an artwork. So for me, using what's around me <laughs> makes sense. It adds to that story. I use natural linens. I use ochres that are, that we've got, you know, we've got ochre pits on Bunganderi. So I use those. Of course, I use other, other pigments as well, which I mix and make my own paints. But first layer that always goes down is a layer of Bunganderi. So it's always got a part of, of who, who we are. How do you prepare it? Yeah, it's fun. So literally mortar and pestle. Yeah. It's, it's the best stuff that hasn't been too weathered is, is like powder. It's like a powdered paint. And um, I've drawn inspiration or, or knowledge from at First Nations. You know, that's what they've used for years and years and years. I've watched them and how they prepare them. Even the Italians, they use like... Um, egg yolk or egg whites to mix theirs and make a paint so I've drawn from them you yeah you literally grind it up and you add glue and you add water I mean that's essentially how you make it it's it's not rocket science and it's not expensive it's um but it, it still has I still leave the texture there so um any of my artworks still have that grit and grain in amongst the paint you said you use natural fibres for the canvases. Yeah, that fine linen, which which um, which weathers really well too. It weathers the, you know, any of the, the masters always painted on linens. So I'm hopeful that maybe mine, mine will last that long too. And I understand <laughs> that the, there's no greater joy than getting a bucket full of ochre and hurling it onto a canvas to, as a start. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Yeah, it's good. And then you pick it up and wriggle around and see, see where the see where the ochre falls and that that sort of is the beginnings of the of the painting I don't I don't do any preparation with a with a pencil or anything first it's just that manipulation I guess if you like or the fluidity of the water mixed with the ochre that that, that gets the foundations and creates the foundation. Annabelle you're known as a Australian landscape painter now you've recently transitioned into um, Tully textiles producing textiles what prompted the move is this always moving forward resilience adapting moving forward <laughs> yeah maybe my husband just says I just get bored easily but um, <laughs> yeah I do I love I love learning new things and I certainly didn't think that Tully Textiles was going to teach me as much as I know it is a brand new medium and it's in a world of graphic design that I didn't think would be that hard. Well, well, I, I certainly didn't realise that that's what I was entering into. I just thought, oh, well, I've got 10 years of, you know, really good quality photographs of my artwork. Why don't I use those to create a different market to make it more accessible to different people? But then I learnt the process of graphic manipulation of your paintings and, and, and what quality they need. And then I have a new level of respect for um, textile artists and for graphic graphic artists they I needed a lot of help put it that way <laughs> so Annabelle when I look at some of the um, textiles that you produce to me they some of them look like drone shots looking down on the channel country some of them look like aboriginal paintings some of them look like you're really close up 
you know, putting a, a magnifying glass to, to the rocks. How do you get the inspiration for the textiles? The inspiration for, from them is that I spent years of, of, of going all over that country on a motorbike mustering or walking because I love my hiking and you, you sort of go down a little channel and up a little channel and, and it, you see how how the colours change as you, as you as you walk across them or travel across them and it's um, to be able to then use that information into colour onto a canvas, um, yeah, is a really... I don't know. It's an interesting process, and it's and it's fun, and it's very informed, I guess, from my point of view. Yeah. Is it hard to market? It's it's a different marketing process. Mm. When so, as an artist, your brand name is Annabelle Tully. So I wanted to to add a, a different arm, I guess, to to that. Hence came the word Tully Textiles, which is kind of catchy. But um, yeah, it is. It's very different. And in the world of of COVID, and in the world of social media. That's where a lot of it's coming from. It's a huge market, huge. And everybody's, you know, spent so much time locked up in their four walls that they're wanting to do, make some changes to, to their interiors. It's, it's been no better time to to um, to launch that side of the business. Yeah, but it is. It's really, it's, it's tricky for me because it's a, it's a new, new way of marketing, I guess. Yeah. Where do you get the textiles manufactured? Uh, in Sydney, actually, it was very important to me that I kept it Australian made. Again, part of the story of, of mm. who I am and how I develop my artworks. I started developing this even before, you know, COVID. So I started looking at options to go to, to Asia to produce. And I just, I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. And I think people appreciate and understand the fact that it costs a little bit more to manufacture here. And I will give them the quality that reflects that. Yeah, I'm always looking for little boutique little designers or textile manufacturers that can give me the products that I want. I'm always looking for new um, natural fibres, yeah. I'd love to do it on wool. That's my next thing. It's very tricky to print. I'd love a, a soft woolen scarf or a, um, I'd love to bring that back home eventually. It sounds like you're, you're, you're always looking forward, new ideas. A little bit like um, Steve said, you know, you, you just can't stop still. <laughs> yeah I don't know it's just the excitement of something new I've always I've always been like that I just love the excitement of something new I I never want to go I never want to travel down the same road twice I I um always look for a different different route yeah you're listening to postcards from the bush with Robin McConkie life on the land can be tough but the people who live there choose to live where they live and there is a sense of community you won't find in the city Annabelle, you spoke earlier on about in, during drought times, not that the education of your kids was so incredibly important. Is that why you took up nursing? You're a remote area nurse. Yeah. Um, okay. So there's a few different reasons why I decided because everyone, you know, it's so far removed from um, what I was doing before. I mean, I was originally trained as a um, as a phys ed teacher so that anatomy and physiology has always interested me two main reasons one we needed some off-farm income to ensure that the kids could stay and that thought you know that terrifying thought of having to pull them out of education um, was we weren't going there so that's the main that's one reason and the other reason was is that because I 
I felt as though after all of my treatment and, you know, I had 10 operations in two years, so the anaesthetic mixed with the chemotherapy, my brain cells, oh, and also, um, yeah, with menopause, anyone you talk to there, they say you get a bit of brain fog too. But um, I just, I couldn't think. I actually could not. And as I explained it to my kids, I have like a silent um, stutter where I will stop and I'm struggling to get my thoughts together and I can't speak. And my kids fill my gaps and I, I hate it. I loathe it. And I, I try to say to them, just give me a sec. You know, I just, I'm not as sharp as I used to. So that's, I said, well, I have to change. I have to do something completely different so that my brain is, is put a bomb underneath it. You know, I just, I really needed to get my neural pathways firing again. So that's why I chose to do something completely different. And it is, it, it still draws on, on, you know, the the empathy that I mean I'm I love people and I love caring for people and I think um being able to give back after having um yeah been in that world for 10 years I think um was really important to me so a couple of different reasons but that those were the main ones yeah and how big's the Quilpie hospital it's 10 beds <laughs> however we do have uh, we've got an outpatients clinic we've got an ambulance that we use we've got a community um, service that we run where all the allied health come and go so it's a busy little place but um yeah 10 beds it's fabulous we and and there's nothing better than caring for people that you that you know are part of your community that make up the vibrant and Annabelle you've been quite public about your message to to women about breast cancer what what do you say to women when you're talking th- talking breast cancer know your own breasts and keep checking and never, ever be afraid to go and, and get something checked out because that's what happened to me. So, yeah. How hard is that to do? Um, we talk about the tyranny of distance. It's, it's huge. Accessing healthcare in the bush is, you know, that and education. Yeah, health, it is, it's really hard, particularly mental health, I think, as I, as I was coming out or dealing with all of that in between, you know, I say those 10 years, um, depression was certainly a very big part of that and that's probably the one I found the most um, difficult because you can get referrals very easily to any acute situation. But um, And I know the receptionist doesn't know what happens behind the door, but I actually couldn't make an appointment because I know the lady that's there to go and see the, um, you know, the visiting psychologist. So I actually drove 500 kilometres to, to seek help in that respect. So you, you do have to look out for yourself. You do have to, you have to look for it. You have to find it. You have to keep looking until, yeah, until you get what you need to, to stay healthy. And thanks to Annabelle Tully for being so generous with her time. You can catch Annabelle's story in print in the Grazy Her magazine, the winter edition 2021. You've been listening to Postcards from the Bush with Robin McConkie. Subscribe on your favourite podcast app and leave me a review. Music was composed and presented by Luke Aidney.